For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This pod is brought to you by Brand MN. They're a Minnesota company that makes awesome shirts and more for Minnesotans. So odds are, if you're listening to this podcast, which you are, they've got something that you'll love. I personally like the Scratching Post shirt. It's a picture of a cat scratching on the WNBA Championship trophy. It's for the Minnesota Lynx, and it can be yours. All you have to do is go to brandmn.com and use the code AWAW for 15% off your order. Your closet will thank you. Welcome back to the A Wolf Among Wolves podcast. I am your host, Brendan Hedke. You can find me on Twitter at B underscore Hedke NBA. You can find the show on Twitter at AW underscore podcast. And as always, this podcast is a part of the A Wolf Among Wolves podcast network. You can find A Wolf Among Wolves at AWAW blog on Twitter or at A Wolf Among Wolves blog.com. And today on the show, I am joined by the host of the Dane Moore NBA podcast and an NBA unrestricted free agent. Dane That's Moore. right, fun, man. That's right. <laughs> thanks for having me, Brendan. This will be fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Should be a, t- a lot of fun. So Dane and I were originally going to talk about um, Cat and D'Lo and how that pairing might look together, both offensively and defensively on the floor. We're still going to talk about that, but we also got to talk about the news that broke a couple days ago about, um, you know, Glenn Taylor supposedly looking to sell the team and some of the people that have come forward as interested in the team and as everybody knows or unless you've been living under a rock you should know that Kevin Garnett was rumored not even rumored because he confirmed it on his Instagram and his Twitter and his Facebook as well I saw that um, that he is interested and he's part of one of the groups that wants to buy the team we don't know what group but um, Dane you had a opinion on Twitter that a lot of people were kind of like shut up Dane like let us have fun (laughs) And I kind of agree with your opinion on that. And it's like having KG as an owner, it sounds like perfect, right? Like the ending of like such a great story, but like you got to look into it a little bit more than that. So what's that? What's that opinion that you have on that? I don't even know if it's an opinion. I mean, I I think it would be, I think it'd be great if Kevin Garnett came in and was, was part of an ownership group. I mean, obviously it's Kevin Garnett and he would inject much needed, you know, 
culture into the organization. He would add a ton of intrigue into the organization, you know, right. like drum up a lot of, you know, of the dormant kind of fans here. I think, I think all that would be great. It's just, I think there, so. There's just a, there's just a lot that goes, you know, that goes into being right. um, an owner that that's, that's not all it is. And I think, you know, if you, if you look around all sports today, but particularly in the NBA, it's, it's super important to not have um, your owner meddle with the, um, you know, with the president of basketball operations, the, right. the, the front office. And um, I don't, I don't think it's unfair to speculate that Kevin Garnett might want to be able, you know, to do that or Kevin Garnett or whoever uh, might want to right. be able to do that. And, and I just think that um, it's, it's important to, to be able to give your front office free reign to, to do what they're going to do to, to work out their vision. And as soon as you have multiple voices in the room, you start, you start potentially having a conflict of interest. And you know, that, that isn't to say that Kevin Garnett and Gershon Rosas couldn't be perfectly, you know, quote unquote aligned as you like to say, and that would, that would all work out. But everything we know about Kevin Garnett's personality that, you know, made him so great on the basketball court could make him potentially hard, you know, you know, to work with, I think, as, a, as exactly. an owner in that role. But the, it's just, I mean, really what I was just kind of trying to pump the brakes on is, is just the fact that Kevin Garnett doesn't have enough money to buy it. To NBA buy the franchise. team by himself. That's Nobody a, really does. That's no a, former yeah. player. Exactly. So that's a, that's a huge factor. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally all behind it and think it'd be a great thing if, if you know, Kevin Garnett can come in and be um, the culture, be the marketing of, of this organization. That would, that would do wonders, but he would also, um, I think need to let Rosa's or if they brought in a new front office, uh, do their own thing that I just think that's really important. I think it's my biggest thing is we've seen a lot of very special or like calculated moves that Gerson Rosas and his staff has been doing. And I would hate for that to get thrown out the window right away if a new ownership, whether it's Kevin Garnett, whether it's, I mean, the Will thing that was kind of seems like it wasn't much there. But like whoever it is, anyway, I want to see Gerson Rosas have the power to run a team. And I don't want that taken away from him one year after he got that power because what he's done so far has been encouraging. And we haven't seen results from it, but you got to give it time too. So I, I just hope whoever comes in, Let's Rosas and the front office that he's established do their thing. Well, I just think if the, if it's a new ownership or if somebody else comes in and doesn't let him do his thing, like Rosas is just going to peace out. That's what he yeah. did. In, that's what he did in Dallas. Like exactly. he he signed up to be the president of the organization, the be all yeah. end all, and and you know that's his prerogative. And currently, that's his job. And he, I mean, think about it. When we a lot of the time when we talk about like. Timberwolves basketball they're like the way they're playing the system it's referred to as Rosa's system yeah not Saunders not system. Saunders. I mean no nope. that that doesn't happen in no. <laughs> in other places and that's because Gerson Rosas has a tremendous amount of sway in every you know little silo of the Timberwolves organization and I think he wants that and I'm not saying he, he doesn't deserve that who, who knows I, I but he has it currently and for him, I just note for him to be able to like to enact his vision, he feels he needs that. He needs a buy-in from the coaching staff. He needs the buy-in from ownership. He needs the buy-in from 
from the business side, you know, to be able to all synergize together. That is the alignment. But at the top of the line of the alignment is Gerson Rosas. And that's very important to him. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, we need to give him the time to really let everything that he sees come to fruition. Because I don't think we all see how Gerson Rosas sees the NBA. He's a very smart man. And yeah, like you said, I think he's just going to dip if he doesn't, I mean, if he doesn't have control, he's like, I'll go to a team that's going to give me control. He doesn't care how bad the team is. He could go run the Hornets. He could go run wherever. And I think he just wants to have that control because he knows what he can bring to the table. And I think a lot of, if you brought in a anyone that comes in, if Kevin Garnett's part of an ownership team and he's part, like a majority owner, Ryan Saunders, I think, could kind of bridge that relationship between Rosas and KG. Hopefully, that would be the hope because, you know, Garnett maybe. was so close with Flip. Maybe, maybe it could happen. But that's, I guess that's the hope is that and if knows, Kevin Garnett's Gerson, around. Gerson and KG might be cool. And that would yeah, maybe Yeah, we have nobody out. has any idea. Yeah, nobody no. knows anything. Maybe, I would love yeah. nothing more than for Kevin Garnett to come in and just be part of the organization, get his jersey retired, reestablish some culture, but then just keep his hands off the what happens on the floor and just let the front office and coaching staff deal with that. And and just the way I see it is that's probably a pipe dream. I don't right. if you I mean so Kevin Garnett has like a hundred and twenty million dollars in net worth. He put that out there and he right. probably need to put a hundred million dollars of that into owning the team. Yep. If you had to put in eighty percent of your net worth into anything I don't Which think would be like twelve dollars. Sure, but if it was the twelve dollars, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if it was eighty percent right. of your net worth, you would want to be able to exactly do things. That's just the yeah. reality right. of of not all owners, but but many of them. And the yeah. other thing I want to say with with Rosas too is like, I do think he would, you know, fight to own his spot. Like I'm I'm not saying he would so for too. sure like leave right away if he didn't like the setup. Yeah. I mean, look at Daryl Morey in. Houston, obviously, that's taken an ownership turn that he didn't initially, you mm-hmm. know, expect, and now it probably isn't as good of an owner as he had before with Tillman Fertitta, and he, but he is still trying to push through that and, and win a championship with them. Right. My point is just that, like, I think if you're Rosa's, what you want is an owner to just stand back and you know sit courtside, do whatever, but stay out of the way. And I think that's really what I tried to point out you know, over the course of this yeah. year in my writing was that Glenn Taylor has done that since he hired Gerson Rose. Exactly. And he's opened up the checkbook this year too, where people questioned if he was going to do that. And he let us go into the luxury tax, which he hasn't done before. So you need yeah. an owner that's going to be able to do that and be willing to do that. Well, I just think it's really important for, you know, for people to understand that for Rosas to be able to do his thing, he needs to have, you know, full autonomy to be able to do all right. these different little things on the margins. Like the reality of the situation is you're working uphill by being the president of the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a, it's a mountain to climb there. And I know that front office's belief is they can climb that through a volume of transactions, a volume of things like cutting off 1%, 2% of value on every single yep. move. I mean, that's why I always say there's going to be a ton of transactions with this front office. There's going to be a ton of, of different little moves. And we already saw that at the trade deadline. Like, the whole freaking team got flipped. But Taylor factors into that too, where in the process, and I don't think, I don't know if everyone understands this, but it's not just the luxury tax. Like the team added like $10 million just in salary, like 
yep. pre going into the tax <clears throat> to, you know, to be able to do that. And Glenn pays for that. Like that's how salary yep. works. So yep. he's nodded along to whatever Rosas has done and said, sure. And, and, and let him, and let him do his thing. And that is very important in Gerson Rosa's eyes. And that's probably just very, that is just very objectively important to all, you know, GMs. They run into these blockades of, of owners who get in their way of being able to do things. So I think if it's Gerson Rosa's, I'm not saying he doesn't want Kevin Garnett or whatever. He just wants someone to be able to let him do his thing. And whoever, whoever that may be. Yeah. So before we get off this, You've talked about this a little bit too, but people have always had a bad like connotation when they think of Glenn Taylor. But like, if it wasn't for Glenn Taylor, we would not have a franchise. We would have had an NBA basketball team for like six years, and then they would have been gone. They would have been shipped off somewhere else, and there would be no Minnesota Timberwolves. So we have to thank Glenn Taylor for that and for keeping the team here. And now he's saying whatever deal he makes to sell the team, he basically wants them to promise that they're going to keep the team in Minnesota, whether that's you can put that into something. If that's legal, I have no idea, but like he cares about Minnesota and he wants Minnesota fans to have a basketball team. Yeah, man. I don't, I don't put much stock into that. I mean, if somebody else buys, I don't it, think you can. Do, yeah. If somebody can, else buys the team. Like if I sell you my car, I can't like promise to society that you're never going to go drink and drive in the car. Like you can right, go do, exactly. I don't own the car anymore. And mm-hmm. so the, the person, the ownership team that takes it over, like if they want to ultimately move the team, there is a path to being able to do that. Yeah. It wouldn't be easy. They need to fight the NBA. They need to fight, um, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves organization. I mean, a yep. whole, a whole bunch of steps would need to be taken, but I mean, we've seen that in professional sports and obviously the Sonics are the, are kind of the most recent example of that, but Right. If somebody comes in and there's an ownership group, they can they could play the game in a way that even if they nod along with Glenn and they say, Yeah, 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 no, we want it, we want to keep the team here, like if ultimately their goal is to move it, all they gotta kinda do is wait it out long enough, find a reason that they can present to the NBA for why right. it would be the best move for them to move, and then they could move. It's 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 that it's not that complicated. So yep. fortunately, there is a long lease at Target Center. Um, that wouldn't be an immediate flag, but there, there are there are different things. You know, there are different things that you talk about five, ten years down the road, maybe less than that. That the ownership group could, you know, play nice for a while, wait out, wait it out, and then you know, mm-hmm. once it seems like socially acceptable, they can you can they yeah. can make the move happen, and that that's what I care about. I don't want them to move, and. Um, I think that's what most fans, you know, would feel too, is they, they want this team to stay in Minnesota. Right. And I guess the way to keep it in Minnesota, if it sells to someone that would want to move it maybe down the line, is to have success both on the court, but also get fans in the stands. Because we have the lowest attendance in all the NBA. And that's not something that makes people want to keep a basketball team in Minnesota. So you got to have success on the floor and you got to sell tickets. If that doesn't happen five years down the road, they're going to be looking at options to move the team. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, that that's a, 
that has been a reality of the situation. And it's fa- and to- it's a fair situation because you think about like you want to maximize your profits and your talents on the court and moving it somewhere else might do that for you. So I don't see I wouldn't like be mad. I mean, I would be upset because I want to have a basketball team here, but I wouldn't like like say it's a dumb move because it'd probably be a smart move financially to move to Seattle or move to somewhere else. Right. No, I mean, that that's just that's just what it is. And I, I, I think this I'm not saying it was necessarily likely, but it's always been that specter has existed around the Timberwolves right. for a long time because they haven't been a successful franchise. So right. so I, I think like I'm excited, too, in ways about the idea of moving on from Glenn, like the list of those reasons makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. The whole KG angle, whatever, a new a whole new chapter, a whole new vibe. Um, it is great, but bottom of the line, a, a sale opens up the possibility of relocation, right? More than it does with, if Glenn Taylor was owning the team, because Glenn yep. Taylor was not going to own the team. No. So whenever the sale was going to come, which was going to be at some point in history, that mm-hmm. point in history has now been moved forward, and it either can go one of two ways. It can go to somebody who wants to keep it here or can go to somebody who doesn't want to keep it here. And, right. you know, I, for the sake of Timberwolves fans, I, I, hope, I hope it lands in the right hands. I know Glenn's saying all the right things now, but um, I don't know if the, what the term is. I'm cautiously pessimistic about uh, what that could look yeah. like. Yeah, for sure. So, like, team – hypothetically the team moves to seattle what did timberwolves fans do are we now fans of the seattle team are we bucks fans are we just hop on wherever lebron's at or or he's probably gonna be retired if the team moves so we just follow someone around i mean that's i don't even want to think about it have never (laughs) dealt with anything you'd have to ask like i guess like the north star fans when they moved to texas and then we had to wait for the wild but like It'd be weird. It would be very weird. We'd be like South Dakota where we have no team and we just get to pick whoever we want to. Yeah. So no, I, think, I, I think that's what it would be. Uh, it would, that would be a bummer of it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any friends who are Sonics fans or anything, but you just right. kind of caught in that purgatory. And honestly, I think it probably what it would mean is kids growing up in Minnesota or people who live here just start caring more about the you know, the twins and Vikings and whatever. Right. And, and and that is what it is. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's, there's, a, there's clearly like a contingent of basketball people who, you know, who live in Minnesota and who, right. who want that. And yeah, I mean, that, that's the sad part of the Sonic story is those people still live in Seattle. Yep. And Oklahoma city is a damn long way away from Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, Right. I, you know, I, that would be that would be a real bummer. That would be a real bummer. Um, okay, one more thing quick. Do we know if the sale also includes like the Iowa Wolves or what's the situation there? I'm not sure. I know it would more than likely include the Minnesota Lynx. I would assume it would include the Iowa Wolves as well. Yeah, I would I would assume so too. I guess I don't know for sure, but I'm yeah. pretty sure they're all they all fall under the yeah. the Timberwolves umbrella um right now, but G League teams kind of move around I don't know, like a triple A team. So, so yeah, right. but I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's good to bring that up. And with like the links too, that's a, you know, that, that's, that's a whole uh, other topic too. They're not just a throw no, no in, in this situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, they're a four time champion. 
the Timberwolves can't say that. We're Recently. a one-time Western Conference final appearance. And they, yeah, <laughs> they won four championships in seven years. Yeah. So yeah. So it's. I mean, yeah. That you displace all those fans too, and all, all that. I mean, it, right? it's a. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to be all doomsday-ish, and but I'm. I'd be lying if I told you I'm not thinking about some of those sort mm-hmm. of things. That um, I don't know that the door the door to that path you know creaks open a little bit um, where, you know, fans become displaced, and that would be. Really sad because, again, just like there's a contingent of Timberwolves fans, there's a contingent of Lynx fans, and um, yeah, I would just, I would just hate that, you know, for the Minnesota experience. Yeah, I for sure would. I've grown up my entire life here, and always had the Timberwolves, always had every team that's here, always had them watching them. So it'd be very, very disappointing. But um, all right. Um, before I move on to the next big topic, I want to ask you, what's it like working? in sports when there's no sports like how's that been and then i know you now you became a free agent and everything but you're still <laughs> still doing your podcast and i'm sure you're still paying a lot of attention to everything but what's it been like not having sports to even like think about because we haven't had timberwolves news before this in a long time yeah well i was i was still um i was still at my old gig for the first couple months of the the pandemic right. and and yeah, it was tricky. I, I think I think just kind of with the pandemic and life, and it like kind of this work is is a microcosm of that. Where I think it was just kind of you get caught up in the whirlwind at the beginning, and you don't really know what to do. Um, you know, I was my job to continue to create content and to write and to right to do those things. And the, the Timberwolves were pretty good um, with those of us like on the beat about setting up Zoom calls and that, but. I was when I really had to like write numerous things a week. I, I was just kind of approaching it like it was the off season, which I guess kind yeah. of. And that's all, kind of how I've been looking at it too, because basically yeah. now we know for sure this pretty much is our off season. Whether there's the delete eight if that happens somehow, yeah. but right. But then right. it. Which but I then doubt. it's also. Yeah, it, it's also, it's also tough because, you know, you're talking if you're talking about an off season in March when the actual off season transactions don't happen till whatever, like September, that's a lot, you know, that's a long gap there. So six months. <laughs> so it was, it was awkward. I mean, I, I think, I think it was awkward and, you know, tri- you know, tricky for all of us. And then, and then I guess just for me as a big part of my job was, you know, traveling with the team, um, being at practices, being at games face to face as a, a, being a reporter, a big, part of that is interacting right um and having you know conversations with people in person when the microphones are off and all that and um yeah i mean th- that was made the job way harder and then it's it's a it's a concern i have going forward of you know what is the media landscape going to look like before i mean just selfishly right. for me um if if i don't have that i become less valuable to consumers yep and and then you know that our industry is already pre-pandemic was in you know was in a tough spot so i don't know i'm honestly it's just like a lot of anxiety of you know not knowing what the job would look like not knowing if i would keep my job and now not having a job um wondering what it will look like when when basketball is back because i i do still want to do this i do still think there's a demand out there for basketball content even for the Timberwolves um but but I don't know so I'm just trying to 
I'm just trying to kind of um, be patient. And it does yep. seem like there's new, there's where we get a little bit more every week. Um, and, and you just kind of look ahead to things like the draft and the lottery and the off season. Yep. And then, you know, before you know it, when we're rolling with this whole bubble thing and the playoffs are going like, it's going to be a, it's going to be a quick switch back into next season. And yep. I don't know. It's just about being patient right now, I think. Yeah, for sure. And the draft lottery is not far away. What is it? Is it in August? August like fifteenth or something like that? I think it's August twentieth is what they just what okay. they just moved it to. But but yeah, that that's what'll be funny it's too like, is like it's gonna be going on right when <laughs> playoffs, playoffs are starting are going on. and yeah. yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be, be interesting. chaotic. Yeah. But all right. Now for the I guess the meat and potatoes of the episode. We're gonna talk about Cat Delo. Obviously they are our star duo, whether you consider them both stars or not. I guess that's up for interpretation, but how far do you think a duo of Cat and D'Lo can really take this team, even without a third star, even if it's just surrounding pieces that are like very solid role players? How far do you think? Can you think those two can be the one-two punch on a contender? Um, it depends on how Cat. I mean, no, I would say no, but I, I think... Right now, no. Optimistically, I, I mean, I don't... <laughs> it depends on how Cat can elevate his the game not just his game yeah. but um there there is as great as towns has been for the majority of his career there's an element to what he has done that doesn't necessarily bolster those around him and there's a lot of different reasons for that um a lot of things haven't haven't gone his way but the next step for him if the next step for the franchise is really beginning to compete is he needs to be individually better and the things he does need to make the other four individuals around him better as well and obviously everyone wants to focus on defense but that's something I mean that's a 48 minutes a night thing it's it's an every possession thing and it's hard it's it's a really hard thing to do um and I'd say to a lesser extent a lot of that applies to D'Angelo Russell as well um but but largely I mean I, I think the, the the safer bet is that that isn't enough, but we also don't know. I mean, we don't know what what Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are, and I don't like when we kind of apply exactly what they have been, put them together, and try and stack up this bar of of what yep. they are. There is a there is a chance that those two working synergistically along with other pieces that fit well end up being an exponential growth and yep. you know and the sum of its pieces is you know or greater what, than its parts I don't know. however that works yeah whatever that yes <laughs> yeah. basically is what the, that's the hope but it mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't always work out that way you know sometimes one plus one is just two but yeah. then sometimes in this situation it could be more than that so I, I think what's happening though at least from some of what I can judge from around is that people look at Cat and D'Lo as the high usage players they've been with the flaws that they do have and put one and one together and get like 1.75. And I'm not sure that that's fair. I I think Mm -hmm. that they, I I think it's fair to speculate that those two will be able to be better together than they were alone. I I don't, I don't think that that, I don't think they're going to make each other worse. And I mean, I, I, we can talk Maybe, about the yeah. offense and defense of how those right. things fit together, but I'm 
I think I just fall a little bit more um, optimistic on DeAndre Russell than a lot of people. Obviously, I understand the flaws. I understand the price tag and, and a lot of the, the issues that are out there. But um, I think it's – I think it's, and then at the same time, I think it's fair to be optimistic about that pairing, optimistic about Russell, and still say that those two need a lot more. They need a lot mm-hmm. more together around them. And, you know, whether that's another star with them or – a whole like load of good players around them. I, I think those things are both needs. And the good thing is I don't, to me is I don't think that this front office is just going to like coast and be like, yeah, these are our two. Let's just like, let's just go from here. Like the, the right. they are going to be constantly assessing and reassessing how this all plays out. And if there is not exponential growth, if one plus one doesn't equal 2.5, then they will move. They will make another move. I think their mm-hmm. the pattern of their behavior clearly has, has illustrated that. So to me, you know, I'm just along for the ride. I'm interested to I'm interested to see how it goes. And I, I get the people who who push back, but my pushback to that will be like, you don't know. We don't, we really don't yeah. know what these two 24 year olds are going to be able to do. Right, and that's the thing. They're just so young that they could both develop a lot more. They could both kind of be who they're at. But like. I think there's a lot of optimism for D'Angelo Russell and the fact that, he, I mean, people have brought this up, but he really hasn't found a home in the league where he's been able to, like, settle down and be like, all right, this is the team I'm going to be on for a long stretch of time. I mean, it didn't it didn't feel like it in Brooklyn because Brooklyn's a big market. They're always going to be hunting for the bigger players, and they brought in Kyrie and Kevin Durant, and there was no more space for D'Lo goes to Golden State, and that just never felt like that was going to be the place. It always felt like he was going to get traded at some point. Whether it be the Timberwolves, whether it be somewhere else, it felt like D'Lo was not going to spend much of his career in Golden State. But now in Minnesota, it feels like this is where D'Lo thinks he can you know, settle down, really find out who he is, and have some stability over the course of his career. And I think that'll help him a lot on the floor and off the floor just in general. Yeah, I think it's been I think it's been hard to pin down um, exactly what DeAndre Russell is good and bad at. If mm-hmm. you if you go through and I mean and really parse what he did back with the Lakers versus back with the Nets versus with the Warriors versus with the Timberwolves, I mean, if you just kind of look at some things like statistically, he's had different areas of his game that have been better at different stops, and right. and so. So what do you do? Like, which one do you put the most weight in? I guess probably the best bet is Brooklyn because that was kind of the most – he seemed the most engaged there and all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, there's holes to be poked in all of it. And really right now I think all we know know about D'Angelo Russell, which isn't that much, is that he can be dynamic offensively. He is to a degree – probably a big degree, a defensive liability. And right. he has shown a um, knack for inconsistent, you know, effort and focus and, and different things, be- probably because of, of all those moves. But, but really, we haven't, I don't think we've seen him long enough in a situation that he wants to be in to, you know, to really be able to judge who and what D'Angelo Russell is. Maybe this is ultimately what it, he is, but it's been a little bit too chaotic for me. I've seen too many different things going back. D- 
different styles of play, different different things being prioritized at each stop that I think you have a guy who doesn't even know who he is yet. He hasn't been told who he's expected to be. And, yeah. and I think that's going to come here. I think so too. And I think Gerson Rosas has a vision. I don't know what that vision is. I don't want to assume what that vision is, but I, I assume he has a very strong vision of what D'Angelo Russell is to his team, whether he's his James Harden or whether he's just someone else. He is, he has a vision of what he wants Cat and D'Lo both to be. And he's going to try and build a team that's going to amplify both of their skill sets in those positions. But um, if we're talking about D'Angelo Russell as a player, what he's done recently for Minnesota when surrounded by very bad talent is another important thing because he only got one game with Cat and then it was basically him, D'Lo, Wancho, Jordan McLaughlin, Nas Reed, just, you know, a thrown together lineups. He played really well in transition in his 12, 14 games, whatever he played in Minnesota. He was 96.6 percentile, which is very good. Um, so I think that is one position that I think he's going to operate in a lot, but I don't think it's going to be like, I wrote, okay, so I wrote like 4,000 words on Cat and D'Lo's offense, and that came out the other day. But um, I was just trying to try and figure out what would work the best, and I found out that D'Lo's really good in isolation, which I kind of already knew, but I found stats to back that up. But then I was a yeah, little worried about I, I think about, you should correct that before. That's what he was really good at in Minnesota, not transition. They played. Oh, did I say transition? In transi- yeah, in yeah, he. Was I'm in really isolation. Good in, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't bad he was really in transition, good in, but yeah. But he was really good in isolation. That's what I, that's what I meant to say. But anyways, so yeah. it was. Then I got a little worried because I was like, okay, if he's so good in ice or in yeah, in isolation, like, is is he going to be able to get the ball to cat enough? And then I was like, okay, I was like, there's got to be some passing stats that can like reassure me. And yeah, D'Angelo Russell passes the 14th most in the NBA. Like he's constantly, the ball is moving. So, okay, I'm not worried about him, you know, getting the ball to, getting the ball to Cat. So that's, that's something that reassured me. But I think still in isolation, he's going to operate But how really is he going to well, give him the but, ball? But how, how is he going to give him the ball? That's the, I think it's going to be a lot I'm just of, asking, I mean, what is, what is the, like, right, the mechanism? Right, no, and that's a valid question. But I think it's a lot of, um, a lot of like spot up situations for Towns and a lot of off screen actions for Towns. I really think that's how he's going to give him the ball because Cat, as in the spot up situations he was in, ranked ninety four point eight percentile. So only five percent of the league was better in spot up situations than he was. And then off screens, he was in ninety two point six percentile. Off screens, he didn't come off a lot of screens per game, um, but he sure was good when he did. Turns so out I he's think, a good shooter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wh- what else is there to really do, like, say about it? Cat's possibly one of the best big man shooters of all time, and that's going to really open up the door for what him and uh, D'Angelo Russell can do. But sh- he shot, Cat shot 4.2 spot-ups per game, which you can basically say those are all threes because he doesn't shoot mid-range shots. You look at his shot chart, there's yeah. very few shots there. So you say 4.2 shots per game and um, 47.3%. So that's an effective field goal percentage of 65.3%, which is really good. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So he's 25th in the league in spot-up situations, and the other 24 players are either 
wings, so small forwards, or their guard, so their shooting guard or a point guard. Yeah. There's no big men that are ahead of him, which is unique. Yeah, um, I, I think... I think the DeAndre Russell, if you want to go play type stuff, is is really interesting because that's what I was talking about where uh, those numbers that you said were accurate, but they come from 12 games that he played. On the Timberwolves. Yeah, that which isn't, you know, right. which isn't much. I mean, he literally, what do we say? So, so isolation is what he was really good at? Well, yep. he isolated 58 times. I don't right. know. Like, is that, is that enough? Is that enough to say that? Because if you go back, if you go back to Brooklyn, he was 49th percentile in isolation. And that right. was hundreds and hundreds of, of possessions there. So I'm, I, I use that stuff too, but it, it's, all, it's all very confusing with D'Angelo Russell because I think we're just in a situation with him where he's done so many different things in different systems on different teams that you, we, can't really, we can't really take – exactly what he was percentile wise and, and use that as a grade for him because again it's it's just it's inconsistent and right I, I think at the end of the day you just got to look at the look at his game and you look at cat's game and it's not really complicated you have you have a player in in D'Angelo Russell who who has a skill set to be a very good pick and roll partner with a big man right because he can create, he can pass on the move. He can, he can, he can score from the mid range. Obviously, he can, he can pull up from out of, out of the pick and roll in those situations as well. And he should obviously, it would be shocking if he did not benefit from going from. I don't who who was he running pick and rolls with in Golden State? Like, right. I, I don't know, Eric Pascal or something. I mean, somewhere. he wasn't it even was, he wasn't have said. It was Eric Pascal. Yeah. It was Pascal, Spellman, Colley Stein, Marquise Chris, and all those guys. So you look at it. The highest rated one yeah. in percentile was Eric Pascal, who was 66%. But he's only doing it half a time per game. You yeah. know, like, none of these guys are real threats. And then um, I looked at it, too. Where was it? With Jarrett Allen, who's better, I think it was a little bit better. Yeah, but um, he can't shoot at all. It's, it's all apples and oranges right. because the exactly. Warriors guys we're talking about are G-leaguers. And mm-hmm. the Nets guys are rim rollers. Cat yep. is is so different than I, I you know Which, either of those players. And I wrote a whole piece about Towns and Russells, just focused on their pick and rolls as well. And my the main thing I got out of it when looking at it was it's not going to be a lot of pick and roll. It's going to be a lot more pick and pop. But the thing that's going to matter the most is if Cat's going to be smart with the screens he's setting. And if he's going to, because he doesn't set hard screens very often. A lot of it is like slip screens going to the basket. And I think Cat needs to get smarter at when to set that split screen or that slip screen and when to actually set a hard pick and free up D'Angelo Russell. So that's, that's the main thing I think with their pick and roll and their pick and pop is just if Cat can be decisive and effective as a screener, which we haven't seen a ton of. And I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like the defense thing with him. It's about engagement. I mean, mm-hmm. if you really look at, if you really go look at the games that Andrew Wiggins played very well in a lead ball handler role, Carl Anthony Towns set very good screens in that those games and was very yep. intentional about getting Wiggs going in in those spots. And Eddie would said as much. What uh-huh. happens, I think, with Towns and why he has 
been somewhat labeled, and I'm not saying it's unfair, as like a poor screen setter or as a poor role man, is he's been so focused on just getting the ball back because he's like, well, all right, I can let Shabazz Napier do his thing here, or I can get the ball back. And, and, right. he's, been, and he's been more focused on those things because that's what you do when you're playing basketball. You go, what's our best way to score in this possession? And when it's Carl Anthony Towns and you're surrounded by a bunch of borderline NBA players, it's only natural mm-hmm. for, for, you know, for your mind to, you know, to go that way. And I, I think it's just he's going to apply a very different mentality. It's going to be more like that Wiggins mentality working with D'Angelo Russell. And, and mm-hmm. if, if we have a more engaged Carl Anthony Towns, even on the offensive end, more engaged just in general, you're going to have an even better player. This guy's the limit for him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think he's- it's – I think so be, uniquely talented. Yeah, I think people should be very, and I don't, I don't know if people aren't, um, but should be very, you know, optimistic about the idea of, of what that pairing could be. And and I think too, like, what is, is you know underrated? I think about DeAndre Russell is the fact that you know in basketball the, the you know the pick and roll play breaks down a lot of the time, and and then you have a, you have a broken set, and and DeAndre Russell is right. the type of player who I do think does have that isolation skill set he was 97th percentile in in 12 games with that and he was really good in golden state in isolation situations as well but his numbers don't necessarily tell the whole story because if you actually go through and like synergy is the person who's breaking this all down and giving you those numbers that you have and i finally got synergy finally got synergy like two weeks ago (laughs) but it just doesn't it just doesn't necessarily tell the whole story of the difference between his right. pick and roll versus his isolation. Because if you go and actually watch what Synergy calls an isolation play, a lot of the time what that is is a broken down pick and roll play or he gets the switch and he pulls it out in isolation. So I just – a a major critique I've heard of D'Angelo Russell, you know, over – even dating back to Brooklyn, is he's just yep. not been that effective in the pick and roll. Well – I think two things go into that. The obvious one is he's going to have a better pick-and-roll partner in Carl Anthony Towns. The other yep. one is the fact that actually watch him play in those situations. He's solid when the whole pick-and-roll action actually happens, and then he's also very good in a broken-down set at being able to create something. So it's not – again, it's not just these grades of A and B-plus or whatever from in the play-type data. It's putting it all together, and you're saying, oh, yeah, he's overall effective – you know, offensively in this sort of way. And what we saw in Brooklyn, which I think is the thing to be most encouraged by, when he had players around him to distribute the ball to, not just bigs, but surrounding pieces, right? the wings, he could be he could lead a, a high-level offense. And I don't know if or when the Wolves are going to get that, but I certainly know that that's the goal. And that will make... D'Angelo Russell shine a lot more than I think his his current perception suggests. I think the hard thing when you want to like really dive into what these two can do is Cat's never played with a dynamic point guard. Russell's never really played with a dynamic center to this extent where they're I mean no he's never played with anybody near Cat's level and Cat Cat's had you know Rubio he's had Teague Teague was good for a while but Teague I don't know how much Teague really helped Cat in certain situations. Yeah, not but, special and not necessarily helpful to Cat, yeah. Right. And Rubio wasn't a special – I mean, Rubio's a special passer. But well, Rubio was only a, one year. I mean, it, 
that's Cat's and, rookie. Or wait, two years? Yeah. Do you have two years with him? I think there was two yeah. years. Yeah. But yeah. there's not an... Outside of that, Rubio's not taking any load off of him offensively by shooting the ball like D'Angelo Russell could or right. will. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to be interesting because you've never seen them play with two people that are yeah, better than anybody they've ever Yeah, I would say the style of play. He hasn't played with yeah, a player who can do as many things with the ball, as in, ball in his hands. Like, I think Rubio and Cat would be a good pick-and-roll pairing. I think so, too. But, but Ricky, Ricky Rubio, it would be in more limited ways – like it would be three stars out of five stars, like whatever, like the, the amount right. of different things they can do where Russell, I think has a chance to be able to be impactful on every level of the floor in every way with it. Five stars, if you want to call it in that way. So we're just talking about a more expansive way to be able to, to utilize them, um, to, right. to utilize cat and, and to free Russell for that matter. So, so yeah, no, you're right. Like, I, I think there's, yeah, there's certainly reason to be optimistic about both of these guys because they haven't played. They haven't played with a player that maximizes them, and and largely, right. I don't know if they've played in a system that maximizes, that maximizes them, them either. Them. So that makes sense. That's the but, glass half full. <laughs> yeah, and we think about if D'Angelo Russell can be a decent um, pick and roll ball handler. When Cat played with Ricky Rubio, his second year in the league, Cat was in the 88th percentile as a role man in pick and rolls and that was with ricky rubio running the guard so if you can have d'lo he's not gonna be as good in pick and roll but if he can be a decent pick and roll ball handler cat can be a good role man and that that action should work just because one because they're so uniquely talented offensively but i think it would their skill sets just match that situation so yeah, i think it I could mean, work out Cat should be nine, yeah, 88th he should plus be percentile. percentile. Doesn't matter who his point. Yeah, doesn't matter yeah. who his point guard. He already is. So that's what I'm saying is, you have an opportunity to be even better than really good. That I mean that that's yeah. that's the thing to focus on. I think. Well, Cat's offensive game. If I I pulled up all the percentiles for this year, the only thing he's lower than 50 percent in is transition. He's at 40th percentile. So if you and then he's at 46.4 as a role man, but. We already talked about not having a ball handler. So if your worst thing is being 40th percentile in transition, then everything's 60-plus. But what does a transition possession even look like with Carl Anthony Towns? Usually it's, I don't know, because Towns is always trailing the play because he got a rebound and he just pushes the ball and then he comes up. And I bet a lot of them are like pull-up threes. I'd be willing to bet a lot of them are just like pull-up threes. Yeah, really hard shots that way. Like I just... Carl Anthony Towns, it's, if he I was out running up. the brick. Yeah. I looked up transition. I tried to find so many transition plays, and I couldn't find, like, any. I don't know if I even could find, like, one that was, like, a solid representation of what Cat is. Like, usually it's the only ones you can find that he's not trailing the play is, like, he's out guarding, I don't know, Eric Gordon because he got switched on him mm-hmm. out on the three-point line. Eric Gordon shoots in. Cat just takes off because somebody's going to rebound. Mm-hmm. Other than that... It's all just cat coming behind and shooting threes, so which is yeah, still which good because he's a good shooter. I, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's just for a center, a transition. I'm I'm more thinking about how often a team runs in transition versus how effective they are. Because right, I, I think Towns is fast. We know he's fast enough to play in transition. So if he can be put in situations to run. Um, a little bit more than I, you know, I think he'll be effective there. So I'm yeah. certainly not concerned. He about was only him in 
being whatever. Two possessions per game in transition. Um, so not that big a deal. And yeah, the system, you know, it's not necessarily designed with this defensive system for her, him to be in the situation to run on offense in transition well, because he's yeah, underneath the basket. I don't think he should. I don't think he should initiate in transition situations. I think he's too right, chaotic. No. I think he'll turn mm-hmm. the ball over a lot. I, I mean, I think, I think so he too. can dribble. Like I think he can. Yeah. I think he can dribble and do that. But we we saw him run a little bit, and and he gets moving, he gets shaken, and he's too big and he yep. isn't, isn't under control. Like what you want your center, if it's Carl Anthony Towns, to do is to defensive rebound at a high level and outlet the ball to your guard. So I I think. Yep. If he has not only, you know, D'Angelo Russell, but, you know, Malik Beasley, Jarrett Culver, Josh Okogie to flank him there to be the one pushing the ball up. I mean, that's what I want to see, you know, Carl Anthony Towns do, whether or not he gets synergy credit points for that or not. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, their offensive games, I'm not really that worried about Cat, and I'm not really that worried about D'Lo. They're just so – they both have so many skills. I mean, at worst, they're going to – even if D'Lo runs in like as the two guard instead of the point guard, which I I think could happen at times, he's a good shooter to spot up and just knock down the shot. When he was in um, Golden State, he shot 90th percentile in spot up situations, and he ran a lot more off ball there because they had you know point guards. He had no point guards with him. He was it was mm-hmm. him and Jordan McLaughlin. They shared the floor for like 50 minutes or something like that. So I think um, even if he's just passing the ball and just as a shooter and he doesn't get that many opportunities offensively outside of that, I think he's going to be just fine offensively. And that's not the side of the ball I'm worried about. And yeah, not um, at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just the, the nature of the NBA today with the, the faster pace. It doesn't matter what team it is. Like your quote unquote point guard um, isn't going to be initiating every one of your actions and they are going to need right. to play off ball. And I think D'Angelo Russell, like, willingly accepts that and I think we saw that I think we definitely saw that in Brooklyn where they would have multiple lead guards and I think towards the end of the time um, of those 12 games in Minnesota he was more than willing to let Jordan McLaughlin initiate that and it's not I mean James Johnson yeah whatever yeah yeah like that I think that's how I think he's maximized in in that in that sort of way by having you know using him in different way like a diversification of looks that um, I mean, that, that, that's how I think he, he would be most maximized. Right. And the other thing that I'm a little worried about is just like, he loves shooting mid-range shots. So how much do you limit that if he's good at them? Because our offense is all about maximizing, you know, taking the best shots, it's the threes and the layups. And now you're looking at it and it's like, okay, D'Lo operates often in the mid-range game what do you do with D'Lo in that situation do you let him operate there do you let him do it sometimes to kind of limit him and try and get him into more three-point opportunities or I think you let him do do his thing I mean I think so too I mean the those things all stack up together like being able to be a threat what would the biggest knock I think on D'Angelo Russell is that he can't finish right well mm -hmm if he is operating from the mid range and whatever, you just drop a basic sort of pick and roll and you know, the big, he knocks down, he comes off that screen and comes in and hits a couple 16 footers. Well, then the big's going to overreact to that. And then right. and now he has a greater lane to be able to go to the basket. So I don't, I mean, I, as much as the next person understand that two is less than three and that a layup yep. is better than a mid range shot, but the basketball game doesn't like work 
exactly that way. I mean, being able to be good at all three levels, particularly if you're one of your team's main, you know, creators, it's yep. that's. I think that's. I think that's super important. I think it's important that he is a threat from the mid range. He doesn't. I, we certainly don't want him to prioritize that over an open three or an opportunity to go to the basket. And I think we saw some of that in the 12 games he was here where he did have an opportunity to go to the basket and he shied away from contact, opting to pull up from 14 feet or whatever. Um, and that, right. you know, that's a bad thing. But, but the idea that on any team, your point guard or main, one of your main scores should not be able to operate from the mid-range, I just I don't think that that's I don't think that that's accurate at all. I want my I don't want my my fifth player like Josh Okogie say he's the fifth starter next yeah. year. Like I don't want Josh Okogie shooting any mid range shots unless the yeah. shot clock is about to expire. Like ever. Yeah. But that's because Josh Okogie is your super low usage wing out there with yeah. that group. To me, it's just that's where it gets hard to compare mid-range shots and then overall efficiency because I mean it's part of the reason why Andrew Wiggins like overall efficiency got dragged down some because he was that guy he <clears throat> was the player that they had to use at all three levels yeah. because sometimes the game does demand it again in broken play situations to be able to create and he just layer, wasn't other layers he wasn't particularly great at, in the mid-range like D'Lo is like he was Wiggins was a worse shooter in that situation but yeah, it's, to it's your that point simple. of to your point of D'Lo getting to the basket and he doesn't do it often. Okay, so if he doesn't do that, defenses aren't too worried about him doing that. And then you got Gerson Rosas and Saunders telling him, "Now nah, you can't shoot any, you can't shoot any mid ranges either." Yeah, they're not going to do that. Teams are just going to press. Yeah, but teams would just press him at the three point line. So it's important that he is able to great, great you know, pressure, pressure him on the. I mean, yeah, and go ahead, go throw two the, guys at D'Angelo yeah. Russell on the perimeter. What exactly. you know, who's going to hit Carl Towns and I. Like that, and I think that's that, fine. And Gerson Rosas is smart enough to know that D'Lo needs to operate in the mid-range, otherwise you're really limiting where he can operate from because he's not great getting to the basket. So then you're just limiting him to the three-point line. But yeah, if you press him, you try and bring another defender for some reason out on the perimeter, you're going to you're gonna pass the ball because I think this team's going to have a lot of ball movement. And then Carl Anthony Towns, is, who's even probably a better shooter than D'Lo is, is going to be open to... Right. Take a shot, no, and I'll take that to, ten times out of ten. You need to put him in 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 situations to succeed. You don't tell him not to do anything. Those are right. Those are you know those are different situations because just because I have actually asked D'Angelo Russell about you know shooting from the mid range right. and volume and those sort of things, and he will laugh at you. He has laughed at me at the idea that he's mm -hmm. going to do that any less. Like he's not that. That's not how he is wired or. Uh, what he believes so and nobody's you, told him not to do that so and he's just he's just not going to listen he's not going to never shoot that shot you need to yeah. convince him or he needs to just convince himself you have to trick him into the idea that these are put him in these other spots where he's like oh i gotta i gotta clean look at a three. Oh, i gotta clean drop off to cat oh i gotta swing swing right. for, you know, for an open three on the other side to to my teammate it's just it needs to it's going to be a part of his game it's just about keeping it like at a reasonable amount, not something to get like, you know, addicted to by, by any right. means. But, but it's like, I mean, Chris Paul's the example right there too. It's, it's such an important part of his game is to be able to work in that area because sometimes it's the shot, but sometimes when you're operating in the mid range area, you have such a, you know, 
you're such a good spot to be able to pass the ball. So, so to just not touch those spots at all is, is silly. And it's just something that D'Angelo Russell, he's just not going to agree to that. That right. It's just it. Yeah. So, all right. So one thing I've thought about a lot and I've kind of gone back and forth on, but I think I found my answer is like, do you think cat one of cat or D'Lo will be on the floor for all 48 minutes of the games? It's a good question. I uh, you obviously sent me this outline before, and I I don't have an answer for that. I I really don't know. Um, it, it's it's hard to like go back and look at, um, you know what Cat's done with other quote unquote stars, right? Um, in his career, like uh, you could compare to Butler his time with Butler, but. <laughs> Uh, one, him, Tibbs just played the starters together all the time, so they were together yeah, all the time. Yeah, that was like 40 minutes a game, right? Yeah, right. So, and then, you know, the other part is that was a different coach. That was a, there was a yep. different game plan there. So, so I don't know. Um, I think I, I think they're going to do – Saunders is going to do what he feels like maximizes Cat. Yeah. And um, – I, it, you can make an argument. You can make an argument. It's either way that like you let him be, um, you kind of let him be the first guy back in off the bench with the second unit. I think that's interesting. Tibbs did that with him. I actually yep. I like that some, um, but you can also make the argument for that's an elite pick and roll combo. You want to play have them be playing eighty percent of their minutes together so as to be able to you know to go in in that sort of way so i'm sure they'll look at other teams like dallas with chris Stapps and luca or whoever else when they're pick and roll combos and what right. sort of the opportunity cost of breaking that up is but i really don't know mm-hmm. what did you say you had a an answer for what yeah you think? so um yeah first off i would be interested to see i don't know the numbers but i'd be interested to see like lebron and anthony davis and see what they do there in LA because they're kind of in a situation where they have two supremely talented offensive people and then outside of that like they don't got a ton offensively and I think that's kind of how the Timberwolves are you know depending on what Malik Beasley brings you but um yeah I don't know because okay so say they each play 35 minutes a game that leaves 13 minutes a game if they played the entire game together 13 minutes where neither of them are on the floor so then if you go to where both of them are on the floor at least, or at least one of them is on the floor at all times, that only leaves... That means they're each on the floor for 13 minutes without each other, right? Is that how the math works out? Would it be six and a half? Something like that. But then you'd be taking away that many minutes of them being together. And I think it's more going to depend how well they just work together together offensively, but more so how bad they are together defensively. How many... If you have a bad point guard defender and then a bad rim defender in cat depending how bad people think Cat is at rim defense, you know, is that defense being, is their defenses being together so bad that you don't want them sharing the floor at all times? I don't know. I just think that's something you just, they're going to have to live with. Um, Like, I don't think, I don't think at end of games, they're going to go, well, our our closing lineup tonight is not going to include Cat because we're getting getting worked here. I I know that's not what you're saying. I I just, I, I, just thinking out loud, I, I think it'll probably be almost more dependent on who the other six, seven guys are in the rotation. And if mm-hmm. you do feel like you can get away with 13 to 18, whatever sort of minutes during the game with, you know, without either of them, maybe it wouldn't even need to be that much, but you know, can you survive? Can you, if it's next season and they have 
you know, James Johnson and, uh, you know, Jake Lehman and Nas Reed and maybe, you know, Beasley's in with that group or something. Yeah. And they're just, they're just kind of trying to run. And, you know, you're just kind of, you're throwing different looks at different second units. But yeah, I, th I think it, I think it will be important because the Timberwolves are obviously going to be a lot better overall when Carl Anthony yeah. Towns is on the floor. So, and uh, then D'Lo is their second best player. So they're, you know, it's going to be that too, but I think that's probably what it'll be. It'll be determined by how bad or good or bad, however you want to put yeah. it, the, they can function, I think without them more than the inverse of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, so if I had to pick an answer, I would say they probably share like, if you average it out at the end of the season, it would be like they shared like between 28 and like 32 minutes a game. And then there was these short few minute stints where like Cat's out there with Beasley if he's back or Russell's out there with Beasley. But there might be times where it's just Cat out there with like Culver, Kogi, and then, you know, whoever else is on the team, which the offense might suffer in that time. But I think it's probably to the point where they'll play. They won't play entirely together. No team takes both of them out at the same time and then would put both of them in at the same time every game, every situation. So I would say somewhere around that mark. They're going to play a lot of their minutes together, but there will be times where one of them's out there and one of them's not. But yeah, I don't know if yeah. there will be a time too much where neither of them is out there, maybe only a few minutes a game. I think what we can go off of this year is that Saunders was intentional about – having a lot of Towns's minutes be with Wiggins and Covington. He played with Covington right. more than he played with any other player, about like 70-some exactly. percent of his minutes. And, and I think that's probably the best indicator that Saunders will be intentional about putting a heavy load of, of his minutes together with D'Angelo with Russell. Obviously, there's a lot of differences there, but, but – it shows Saunders' hand to some degree that he is one of those believers in stacking them up versus, you know, like Houston with Chris Paul and James Harden opted to do the opposite of that and, and stagger them as much as, you know, as possible. But I think, I think that's pretty obvious why that was is because those two players are both best with, like, the ball in their hand initiating yep, the offense. Yep, very high usage players. Yeah, right. and, and that's the, you know, I think that's the, the difference kind of mm -hmm. with, with I mean Cat and Dilo play very different positions obviously so so yeah I, I would I would anticipate I guess that they that they do play together a lot but they will need to find ways to survive at times whether it's for foul trouble or injury or whatever it might be to you know to have a second identity and that that'll be that part will be really interesting I think Malik Beasley assuming he's back will be a a big factor in, in what that can I be so like too. I know he won't be the sixth man, but like kind of the idea of that, of what maybe think about like what Lou Williams does with the Clippers. I know he mm -hmm. is the sixth man, but he comes in and it's, he's like the guy for this unit is kind of serving as the one A or one yeah. B, um, even though he's maybe the fourth best player on the team. I think, yeah. I think Beasley, I think Beasley will have a sneaky big impact on how good or bad the Cat and D'Lo pairing is. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, D'Lo, everybody kind of just assumes he's back. And I, I mean, I hope so. Um, also hope Beasley? we don't overpay, but yeah, Beasley. Mm -hmm. um, but so if Beasley's, if Beasley's back, then I think at all times, one of those three is going to be on the court. 
yeah all 48 minutes i mean except for like garbage time and whatever but like Mm -hmm. i think one of those three is on the court at all times so and yeah beasley's gonna i think be kind of that x factor of how good or bad the timberwolves would be next year if he's back on this team so it'll definitely be interesting to see offensively how this team looks next year and how three how all three of those players work when they're out there together i mean Mm -hmm. we didn't see that and and we saw like malik beasley bite off what more than what we thought he could chew and then he proved he could chew it so it's like i don't know how how he's going to sort of a sec accept a third fiddle role um, that's interesting to me. I don't, you know, I don't, yeah. th- I don't think we, I don't think we really know that. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't strike me as the player with the mentality that ever believes he's not, you know, the best player on the floor. So there's going to be, there's going to mm-hmm. be some things to work out there too. But again, that's a, I think that's a coaching thing. I think that's a roster construction thing where you find out a way to, to make it all work. For sure. All right. Now, the fun side of the floor for both of these players or the not so fun side would be defense. Um, do you, th- okay. So I have, what are their defensive strengths? If any written down, um, I think cat has some defensive strengths. Do you, do you see any strengths of Delo's defensive game? Um, I think Delo is fine defensively. If you put him in a, in a situation that um, is more physical than, it is finesse or agility. Yep. I think that's, I think that's really um, where his, his, you know, lack of athleticism shows up. Uh, it, it's kind of like it was, it was always sort of the thing with James Harden where, you know, people ripped on his defense all the time. But if you yep. like James Harden's always been a really good post defender. And part of that is cause he's, exactly. you know, he's very strong, he's but, big. but he, there, there is an element of D'Angelo Russell where he is, long like tall and long yeah and so if he can be put in as many of those situations as possible then he becomes less of a minus or um okay it's more so you know it's it's more so about how often you're asking him to be in those situations where he that aren't his strengths where he is right um in in a he is defending a really agile isolator he's going to struggle there but if you can put him in situations where he's defending an isolator who isn't that and is more, you know, brute strength. I think not that Russell's super big and strong or anything, but I think he'll be able to, to use the same position at least. Yeah. I think, I think he'll be, I think he'll be better in those spots. So I don't know if those are necessarily strengths, but I don't, there's like, I I think there's an element to the analysis of DeAndre Russell that he actually, he can't do anything defensively. I think what's more true is a lot of the time he hasn't done anything defensively. Right. Like to me, there's a very big difference between, you know, if, if I'm assessing Trey Young's potential as a defender versus D'Angelo Russell is you just have a more physically imposing player in Russell than you do in Trey Young. And I think, I think that matters if it's, if it's used right, if it's used incorrectly, both of them are just, you know, they're going to be a, a, an issue. But then again, it comes back uh-huh. to it's the engagement thing. It's like, can you engage him? That's that's big. Yeah, and the only Jack said Jack Borman said something in the last uh, podcast he was on with me. But he we were talking about just D'Lo as a defender in general because the question was, who would you rather have be a good defender, Cat or D'Lo? Like, who would you rather have? You could only pick one. But um, we got to the point where we were talking about D'Lo. Well, who'd you guys say? Who? What was your answer to that? 
Okay, so um, my answer was cap just because I think in general rim defense is, you know, more important. Jack's answer, which I kind of agree with and I, you know, I didn't know his answer beforehand, so we hadn't talked about it. Jack said D'Lo being a better defender, he would rather have D'Lo because Cat has a path to be a above average defender where D'Lo, you don't really see a path of how he can be. And it's that that thing where it's like you'd rather have a bigger jump where D'Lo's worse defensively than Cat is. So if you have that bigger jump, D'Lo covers more ground as a defender. But I chose Cat okay. just right. based off rim defense. It's an interesting question, though. Um, and then we ran a poll on Twitter, too, and people... I don't remember how... I think people voted Cat just because... Well, I think Cat's you know, definitely the right answer. I, I think yeah. it's just... And I think... But I hear what Jack, if you're talking. I was gonna tell Jack that that too. was that was dumb, but now when he phrases it like that, that that makes some sense. And there's a yeah. And there was another question I asked where it was like, who would you rather have be a 35 percent three point shooter? Was a Kogi or Culver? And then um, his answer for that was um, a Kogi because a Kogi would cover more ground because he's worse already than Culver is. Yeah, about like one percent. So I yeah, mean, but but also yeah. Culver's shown he was a good def- a good shooter in college, and Culver started shooting better. He the- did. <laughs> well, well, I guess Akogi did shoot pretty good in college, actually. But like, um, they're both Culver bad played shooters. better towards that- the end of the year. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the thing. And my argument was like, I mean, J- like Josh is actually a decent free throw shooter, so like you see a path for Josh like becoming a better shooter, and Jarrett's just absolutely horrific from the free throw line this season. So it's just kind of, yeah, that's, I, I think both of those things are mental. I think that's a confidence yeah. from Josh and a lack of confidence from Jarrett more I think than so too. for me, more than it is an indicator that either one yeah. of them is going to be a better shooter. I, I mm-hmm. think I, I actually think it'll go the other way where I'm not saying, I think Culver is going to be a lights out shooter, but I think if we average out like those guys, three-point percentage and catch-and-shoot situations over the next three mm-hmm. years. I think Jarrett Culver will be better in in those spots just because I think – And that was my argument. That yeah. was my argument, too. And mine was, too, if if Jarrett – Jarrett's already taking a lot more threes per game than Josh is, so if he's a better shooter, equates to more points per game. But I wonder anyways. if it's, like, as percentage of their shots, though. Like, Culver just oh, shoots I don't, more in general. Yeah. Yeah, Culver has a higher volume, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he would have based a on their sense. based on their shots per taken per game. I have no idea who would have like a higher one. But anyway, so that was just the question about Cat and Delos. Well, yeah, is that, like the answer. The answer is Cat because of the way basketball is set up. It works would be, right, and particularly in you know the the way that the Timberwolves try and shape their defense and funneling everything to the rim, where right. you know, where the center is like you in ways you can put your point guard out of the defensive equation, at least for some of the possessions and the, the Timberwolves certainly tried to do that with D'Angelo Russell. A lot of the time when he was here, you can't remove your rim defender from the situation. If they're your five and you're trying to funnel everything to them at the rim, Um, that's just a really important spot in, you know, in that scheme. So I think, I think that yes, cat is a better defender, like, whatever relatively speaking to the rest of the league like right. percentage wise than D'Lo is but that position's so much more valuable not only well not only in the NBA but specifically in the way the Timberwolves are set up um that mm-hmm. if you I mean if they could 
if Cat can embrace being a big physical body at the rim, the defense is going to be a lot better. If that becomes his right. primary focus, like that can make a big difference. I don't really see how D'Angelo Russell, get, what he could do to become an above average defender, right. like what element of his there's game. There's not would like it a be? clear yeah. path to no. him becoming an above average defender. Yeah, I would say there's but. probably no path. Whereas Towns, I yeah, think I would agree too. With Towns, I think it will happen. Um, yeah, so yeah. those are, but but maybe that's to Jack's point, where the if we're taking bets and like yeah. sprinkling magic beans over it, then you take the one that's <laughs> right. less likely. But but, but um, yeah. okay, back to Josh Okogie. Josh is forty two percent of Josh's shots were threes. Thirty eight percent of Culver's were threes. So pretty oh, similar. There we go. But Josh but, um, is more. Yeah. Anyways, besides the point. Um, yeah, so I would take Cat. I would want Cat to have that defense. I think there's a path for Cat defensively. Um, but we, so this past season, I know Cat's, Cat was off and on injured throughout the year, and there was also a suspension that seems like five years ago. But, um, so we didn't see, we saw 35 games, I think, from Cat this year. Um, and they played that drop scheme coverage defensively a lot. And if I remember correctly, you are not a fan of the drop scheme for Cat. Is that correct? Well, I mean, I'm just – I'm not a fan of things that have uh, consistently not worked. Um, right. I think Cat could be good at it. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I, he I, hasn't shown that. Well, I mean, it's just – I don't think it's that Cat couldn't be a solid rim defender in a drop, but it would require him, like, relinquishing some of, like – his agility in the name of physicality. Like yeah. I think he would want to focus on becoming stronger more than he would want to focus mm-hmm. on being faster. Um, being physically imposing in that scheme is, you know, is, is more valuable than it is to be able to be laterally quick. I mean, the other teams that do that and, you know, run a defense in a similar way to the, the wolves do have big bodied centers back at the rim. Like, welcoming you to come and take a shot into your rim defender, whether mm-hmm. that's Brooke Lopez, um, Rudy Gobert, Andre Drummond when he was in Detroit, those sort of things. I mean, it's those players know that they are good defensive centers because they know it is their job to deter to be a- shots at the rim mm-hmm. and, and to do that. Yep. And, and I think Cat has this confliction where sometimes he believes that, and when he sees it working, he really believes it. But then he also has this just burning desire to tap into the agility that he has that those other centers do not have. And, right. and so I think to me, six, year, six years is enough, five years is enough time to show that Cat is pretty well committed to wanting to play defense in a way that is more proactive. And yep. And what it comes down to, to me, is obviously we need Cat to be a better defender. So you need to engage him more. What will engage him more? And I think in the opportunities, the few opportunities he's been given over the course of his career to play more proactively, to play up to the level against the screen, to be able to you know, push out that rather than welcome in, I mean, I think those things are what gets him going and, and in, inspire him you know, defensively. It's not to say that he couldn't, again, couldn't be good at the other thing, but my point just is he hasn't been. He hasn't been, and he doesn't Mm -hmm. embrace that role in the same way as some other players like a Gorgie Jang has, 
And that's why, I mean, that's just what it was. Gorgie Jang was like, this is what I do in this defensive spot. Mm -hmm. That's what I do every single time. And obviously we saw it this year during the, whatever, 15, 20 games without cat. It, it's, it is the reason for the disparity because that role in that scheme is very reliant on discipline and on communication right. and on precision and Towns is not wired that way. I think he would – he's a defensive free spirit uh, to, yeah. to put, okay, to put things nicely. Yeah. And, right. and I don't know. I, if it were me, if it were me, and I'm not David Vantable, I'm not an NBA coach, I would, I would at least want to see what that would look like. I would, I would want to say, you know, light your hair on fire. Let's play aggressive. Or let's at least, let's at least mix it up. Let's at least mix yep. it up and, and try some things where we are playing in a more aggressive rather than conservative pick and roll scheme. And obviously there's a lot that goes into defense outside of just what your pick and roll scheme is. But um, for me, I think the infrastructure that they've put in place is not what Cat wants to do. And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, whether or not it's the right thing to do, they have to do what Cat will do. And, and I go back to this a lot of the time with Denver. They yep. talked to Nikola Jokic about right. what do, you know. What do you want to do? It was a, it was a discourse, yeah. and and I don't know. Like maybe we'll maybe we will see something different next year. Um, yeah. Obviously, we saw the team run a ton of zone and a lot of different things once once Town was Towns was out of the equation last year. Um, but but I think it's I think it's critically important that whatever their baseline scheme is that Towns is inspired and engaged by it. And I have not seen him largely be inspired or engaged by the same defensive scheme he's been in his whole career, whether it was with Sam Mitchell, Tom Thibodeau, or Ryan Saunders. Right. Yeah, and the thing about Cat's defense is so weird because he is, you know, he's more agile than a Rudy Gobert or even, even a Joel Embiid who – still is like a rim defender, but he has an offensive load that he carries too. Um, and Cat's probably never going to get up to his defensive level. But if you look at Cat's stats, def and this is, okay, defensive stats are so weird, and they have to be taken with such a grain of salt. But um, so Cat, so if we're looking at field goal percentage versus, okay, so when a player shoots the ball against anybody else in the entire league versus when they shoot him against Carl Anthony Towns, if he's within three or six feet of the basket, 61%, 61.5% is like normal for whoever it is that he was going against. And that's 51% against Cat. So that went down 10. If you go to 10 feet, it was. That's really good, by the way. <laughs> yep, that's really good. And then Go Bears was like 12 or 13 or something. I was really surprised how close they were. And then less than 10 feet, um, the average was 58%. Then versus Cat, it was 50.2. So that's almost an 8% difference. And then within um, twos in general, is just a 4.6% difference. Um, but then you go to where he's covering mid-range and just threes. And then the average is for mid-range is 37. But then versus Cat, it's 42%. So it jumps up 5% when he's guarding the mid-range. Well, it's because threes, it, they don't have him guard the mid-range, though. They leave yeah, that open. It's more, and 42% yeah, and isn't bad to give up on a mid-range shot. Right. And then for threes, it's 35.1% average versus uh, 39.1. So it's up four. But I think the big thing is when Cat was guarding, air quotes, guarding those shots, he was like 
seven feet away from them because he was not supposed to stray too far away from the basket. And yeah, I, I think, think that's that, right. So, but the but the rim defense is encouraging too. I mean, oh, I think there's 10, elements 10 of Towns' percentage points is huge. Yeah, and I I, I think um, and I, as I think that's progressed a lot in Cat's career. You know, just just yeah. watching him in in those situations where he has played with more discipline in those situations he has been a rim deterrent statistically as you said he he is too so it's right it's not it's not that he can't be you know a, a rim defender at all I, I think he I think he absolutely you know has that skill set and then he's also an, an elite defensive rebounder which is a, a very important part of defense too so right it, it's it's the other things it, it's it's the rest of the equation um, that needs to work be worked out and and when he is like, I think a big thing that is missed in that stat, though, is the times when he is out of position, so he isn't quote unquote guarding a guy, and his guy gets a wide open dunk or an easy layup. Like, yep. I don't know if that factors into your minus ten right there too. So, right. it's it's tricky, but I do think it's fair to say that Towns is a competent rim defender and um, struggles in. Sp- in space in the sense when he's forced to make a decision between guarding two different people. I think Towns in space is fine when he knows exactly what he's doing. He's fully switched onto the player or he's fully off, fully yeah. off of the and player. And he knows like, that he he can be doing that. Like, that's what he's supposed to be doing. He's not exactly. worried about what's happening behind him where he thinks he might he might yeah. be supposed to be there. He might, you know. It's a hard job. It's, like that. it's a hard job. Yeah. But I will say, too, last season – um, when Cat was almost fully healthy, minus the car crash and the few games that he missed last season, but the numbers dropped down a little bit. He was like, it was like six percentage points at the rim, six percentage points, uh, less than ten feet, but still good. Season before that, um, it was about equal. Players were basically in every spot. He was the percentages were. It was basically he was a neutral <laughs> defender in like every point of the floor. Um, I want to throw out Delos, not to prove a point, just because I think it's funny how bad they are. Um, guarding threes, average was 36.5%. When Delo did it, it was 42%. So it was like five and a half percentage points up, which is a lot when you're talking about threes. Um, in twos in general, so that's anywhere inside the arc, uh, 51.9%. That jumps up to 60.8% when Delo's guarding them. So that's nine percentage points. And then, then within six feet, it goes from 60.7 to 73.1. So that's 12 and a half, which is astronomically bad, like very bad. Yeah, um, I think he's uh, I think he struggles to finish plays defensively. And a lot of times, you know, that's a, you know, that shows up in how well contested a shot is. And right. oftentimes there's a correlation between how well, you know, contested a shot is and the, you know, the percentage of, of how they go in. But but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's uh, it's historically, historically, it's not been good, and it, it probably, it probably won't be good. I guess the, just the hope is that there's other pieces there to kind of paste over that and to right. to have it be so he's guarding the types of players that you want him to be guarding as much as possible. You're not going to be able right. to hide him all the time, or there are going to be times where he's going to be guarding another strong offensive player, and and in those spots, you you need to strive for competence. And, and a lot of the times he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been that in his career, but I do think there's, there have been instances. Um, and uh, you just, you just hope that there's more of those. Yeah. And I, 
he's going to get hit in a lot, but like you said, there you can't always hide him. But we did see against the Charlotte Hornets, he was guarding, I don't know if it was Cody Martin or Caleb Martin or whoever, you know, one of the yeah, I think he offensive guarded players. That, that Jaden, Jaden or Jayden whatever. McDaniels. The, Jaden McDaniels. He was guarding him. Jay, he was like 6'9", no. but he's just in the corner. Or Jalen. Yeah, Jalen's the one Jaylen who's on McDaniels, the yeah. yep. Jaden's so, But yeah, you know, big, bigger than D'Lo, but just not an offensive threat and you just put D'Lo on him and hope that he doesn't get worked but then we saw against the Raptors where they were forcibly trying to get Pascal Siakam to be guarded by D'Angelo Russell because that's advantageous for the Raptors so they got to hide him as best as they can but I think he needs to step up to the point where when he does have to be guarding somebody that is offensively capable he can at least slow them down to some standpoint. Yeah, and um, it's not even it's not even a bad thing to be quote unquote hidden. I mean, you watch you watch a lot of good defenders in the league end up being put on right. the same whichever McDaniel's it is or or whoever you know whoever it might be because they like to you know they whether it's for saving that player's energy for the offensive end or putting them in a spot where they're more of you know a read and react or, not. or, or, or just yeah. like a free safety sort of thing kind of like roco plate roco i mean we didn't really put roco on we didn't hide roco but he was in a lot of situations where he would just you know swipe at the ball when it wasn't his man or whatever and you just have some of those pokeaways and a lot of defenders like to have them and you're not too worried about Jalen mcdaniels like torching you for 50 points tonight because mm-hmm. you can sag off of him and whatever yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just about finding the most advantageous spot for D'Lo each night, depending on the matchups, and sometimes that will be guarding. The most advantageous thing will be having him be on a, a better player, just because they're not the Hornets and they don't have a weakness, or it's just the the size of of that. It's whatever you know, whatever the setup is for that game, you know, it's just going to require again engagement from D'Lo to to be somewhat competent in yeah in, and in engagement's those a huge thing for a- yeah. anyone and being engaged just takes it to a new level whether you're really low it's going to take it up a notch whether you're a, one of the best defenders in the league you're more engaged you're going to be better no matter what your skill level is there but um yeah so it's all going to come down to engagement from cat and delo um but so the power forward position for the timberwolves is the one that i think is most unique because it's very wide open uh what kind of power forward do you think would best elevate cat defensively yeah i mean well i guess it it depends on you know how do you want to how do you want to align things do you right do you want i mean if we're we're operating in the same sort of construct as as they played last year Yeah, yeah right one big on the floor it's kind of going to be you know uh a wing like a a four that is as much fast as they are big and, and, you know, active and passing lanes, able, you know, able to be able to switch. Like, I don't know. I I think sometimes we think about like needing a power forward who can coddle Carl Anthony towns. I don't think that's necessarily what I would say we need, but there are people that think they just want someone to carry towns like can't yeah like, well and i just don't think that's incompetent possible yeah yeah i, I just don't think no. that's possible with the center position like that you you can't you can't really cover for that and and also another thing i think a lot of people are like oh my gosh like you had robert covington that was the perfect one and i think roko is a great defender 
But I mean, yeah. if, you, if you just look at it, it didn't work well when he played with Towns. No, I mean, as the wor- it's probably something to do with size. I mean, Rocco is not small, but he's not super big and strong. You know. Yeah, I think and, I think Rocco uh, really uh, struggled in term as as great as he was in in playing those passing lanes and, and ripping the ball away. I don't think Rocco was um, an elite switcher. At, right. at, at, for that position, and I think he sometimes gets labeled as that, but particularly coming back from his knee injury this year, I don't think he's someone who has like elite lateral quickness for a four position. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, I don't think Rocco is a very good, you know, rim defender. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's it's hard to find that like perfect fit in a guy who who checks all those boxes um, at at the four position. But I think what you want is to have. Uh, Maybe maybe a four who's more versatile than Rocco, but maybe then obviously you're probably sacrificing some of what he provided in steals and in passing lanes. Um, but but yeah, it, it's it's hard to know exactly because right now based on you know sort of based on the scheme, uh, it's not going to be necessarily a big bodied center. You would think. Yeah unless that big bodied center can really play with pace on the offensive end. It's, it's hard to know. I, I think, I think people might be surprised um, this summer that the wolves do make up, end up making a move for a bigger bodied player that does yeah. actually end up playing alongside cat. Some like a, like a, a Mason. Sergio Baca is a name. Yeah. Sergio Baca is a Well, I don't know if there's any shot that Sergio Baca, you think right. Sergio Baca is going to come here? I mean, no, no, I don't think he would, but that that's someone that Jack and I talked a lot about. And that's someone you, that fit wise, we would love to see, but it just doesn't seem like it's possible. But, but like a Jeremy Grant would be more possible, but he's not as big. Yeah, but how are you, how are you getting like Jeremy Baca. Grant? How are you getting Jeremy? I mean, it's the, just the pipe dream is that he doesn't, that he is declining his player option from Denver because he, doesn't have a path to getting minutes there because then how they, do you sign him if you're the wolves that he's just that he's fine with taking a mid but what's our mid-level gonna be we're not gonna have the full one because we're in the tax I mean, right you have, no no not the full but i just don't think jerry grant's gonna sign a nine million dollar a year contract i just think the hope is that you know it's a deflated market because of everything going on and then he just wants out of denver and will take the same price yeah. elsewhere to get a shot but that's the whole. I, I, that, I, yeah, I don't even. Know. I, I think we need to set sights a little more more reasonably for what can be acquired with that. I'm not saying Jeremy Grant or Serge Ibaka or whatever wouldn't be great. Those are obviously yeah, right. upgrades. But like we're talking about players speaking. like Juancho Hernan Gomez. Those are the type of players that this team can sign with the amount of resources that they have. If you're talking about yeah. going out and signing someone, so so I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't even think we're I think you're setting the Timberwolves front office up for failure to to start thinking that it's it's possible that a player of Jeremy Grant's quality can come. I think I think if we're power ranking the free agents, you got to jump down like 20 some spots on the on the ladder to even be in the range of guys that would even consider, you know, consider coming here. And right. If you want somebody as good as Jeremy Grant, I think you're trading for them. I think that's yeah, right. I think that's the way that that happens. Yeah, and there's somebody on the Wolves roster that I'm interested in, and that's Jared Vanderbilt because in that trade, I don't think Vanderbilt was like a throw-in type of person where just to make the money work or the people work. I think like Rosa sees something in Vanderbilt because I mean he is a solid um, 
a, sol a really solid rebounder. But then he's also very versatile offensively, where he's fast, he's quick. He's not a great shooter by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, can someone like that mold, if he develops a little bit more, I think he could fit really nicely next to Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. This no. season, is he going to be effective? I don't know. But, I mean, I listen to every one of your podcasts, and I think every episode you talk about 2021 is the year we go for it. So sure. if you take this year and just let, like, Vanderbilt develop and play next to Towns and get some chemistry. I mean, they're both Kentucky guys, too. So, like, I mean, there's something there, you know? Like, there's a brotherhood there. But yeah, get Booker, them... too. <laughs> yeah, bring them all in. I don't care. Um, but um, No, no, I think Vanderbilt's all... interesting. It's just it's just he's, yeah. he's really – it's really hard he to, has a... to know. And he has a ways to go. But I think, you know, if he could develop into who he possibly could be, you know, he's a bigger body, but he's still – very i mean he's oh, not he's pascal athlete. siakam but he's kind of he's kind of built like pascal siakam to where he can he could defend the rim but he can or also jeremy grant be a, as we were talking about before it's yeah, like yeah. yeah but that's what i'm talking about is the, the, those are the those are the more reasonable like outcomes for people. what the power forward position actually looks like like if people start setting themselves up thinking it's like it's like last off season where it's like oh we're gonna put all this together and you know matt like put our space together to go get this one player. Like, no, what ended up happening is they got Noah Vonley, Trevion Graham, Shabazz Napier, right. Jordan Bell, and that. Like, those players, those are what was available to be able to be had for them. They yeah. didn't just intentionally be like, oh, let's go get a we bunch of Travion. bad minimum yeah. guys. Like, we it, need Travion Graham. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It, it's uh, – it's going to it's going to be hard to fill that position, and it will probably be done in a way that's that, from what I can tell, will be underwhelming to the fan base. I've I've been very I think so too surprised by how down everyone seems to be on Juancho Hernan Gomez as an yeah, option are, in that role. People are very down on him, and like I get to the point where I'm like listening, and then I'm like, wait, 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 I, I kind of like it. I kind of like him, though, and I'm just, like, listening to so many well, people be down on him. He's, he's and I think, certainly not perfect. He's was not yeah, good he defensively. Wouldn't be a, and he wouldn't be a great rim defender or anything like that, but I wouldn't count him. People have counted him out of possibly starting, and I don't think that's by any stretch, like, a sure thing. I think that he possibly could come back on, what, $4 million or whatever he gets because I don't think he's getting much in this market. Yeah. I bet he, he gets. Just, I bet you he gets more than that, and I bet you he comes back. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I don't know. I it's just he's he's for sure imperfect. I it's just sometimes it's one of those things where I don't really get it. Where it's this, oh, we want shooting, or we want defense, right? And then sometimes when it's a guy who's only one of those two things, it's like it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Well, sometimes you can't just get all of it in one package. Like yes, if they could, right. if they had infinite money to spend, then. You go your, get your Serge Ibaka or your Jeremy Grant or whatever, right. whoever that may be. But yeah, you know the options are limited. And I thought I thought Wancho did a lot of interesting things offensively, and good cutter. He's a very good cutter, which works in our system. I mean, sure, he's good. At, he's good at yeah, a bunch of different I, things. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he's a, a good idea to be your power forward of the future as your pair next to Cap, right. but I don't know. And it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to get just. When you have Cat on a max, when you have D'Lo on a max, unless you really trade some future assets, it's going to be hard to get a power forward in there who's yeah. a lot more than Wancho Horn and Gilmas. Yeah, and the only other hope would be, you know, trade, and I don't know what trades would look like, but then it's the draft. And at the top of the draft, there's not really 
anybody that fits both sides. You have Okongwu, who's a good defender, but not a shooter. You have Obi Toppin, who can't yeah, play thing, defense right? to save yeah. his life. You know, there's nobody that fits both. You could maybe find somebody later on, but then it's just not as high. Yeah, well, what are the odds player. that that player's going to yeah, be good enough? Like to, Paul to start. Reed. People like Paul Reed, but is Paul Reed going to be good enough? Or Patrick, I think Patrick Williams is really interesting, but he's yeah, still. But are you going to start shooter. an 18 year old and like right, right. away? He's, I, the I young, he's like the youngest player in the draft, too. So it's very, yeah. very interesting to see what they're going to do. Um, and I think that power forward position is going to be pretty essential oh, yeah. to our success. Super um, important. That's probably, you know, that's what I think is the most important for our defensive success anyways uh, going forward. So, Yeah, but that's yeah. what I think they should – centers are way easier to get. <laughs> so just get yep. a center. Play them with Cat. I don't know. I mean mm-hmm. – There's just, a lot of – At least I mean, try it. At least try it. I don't know. 15 yeah, minutes a game. Right. I, I, think, I think that's a good way to, like, kind of bridge that gap of if, like, Wancho is – your best like main option at the four, but does come with holes in his game. Like be cool with going, you know, 25 minutes of Wancho and at next to cat and the other 12 minutes a game with Nerlens Noel or Mason Plumley or somebody who, who kind of, you know, is, you know, isn't the full package either, but is the right. in to Hernan Gomez's yang. So you're able to try some different things, but again, that right. would, that would be contingent upon the Wolves front office, playing another like kind of true big next to cat which i know a lot of people have ruled out but if it's somebody who can play fast i i do think and you and know, that's can, what i think yeah. too people say that you know like they view like vanderbilt probably as like a center technically but vanderbilt could play fast so if you have someone that's playing like that i i don't yeah. see any reason why they wouldn't try it i don't think they're against having two seven footers on the floor i think they're against having someone who's slow on the floor yeah, no, I think that's just what it is. I think people are going to be really surprised when it's whether it's on draft night or, or I will bet I'll bet this that that one of the wolf like the wolves top pick like lottery either their lottery pick or best player they add in free agency or one of them is a a center and people are going to go what how is he going to play next to cat they never play two bigs together and it's going to yeah. be a big who does play next to cat and seems to conflict a lot of what Rosas was saying, but I think the context to all of it is very important because it will be a big who is different than Gorgie Jang. Mm-hmm. will still be a big, but it'll be different than Gorgie Jang. So do you think uh, there's a, a way that, you know, like a James Johnson plays that power forward next to cat next year? It's not a great rim defender, um, but he is a gritty defensive player and he's fast. I mean, he can shoot a little bit. He's fast enough. Yeah, I guess um, I, I I suppose there'll certainly be minutes that that they're together. He'd probably be part of that filling up those forty eight minutes too. Um, I guess for some reason, just in my head, and maybe this is wrong, I just have him more in the like playing with the second unit when Cat doesn't yeah. play. But that's probably just because I haven't ever seen haven't him seen play, play next to Cat. So right, yeah. exactly. Um, um, but yeah, I guess I also do the thing with James Johnson in my head too, where I've kind of assumed he's going to be traded, which is probably unfair too i don't know that yeah um, i see him as he's a an trade. expiring deal so they yeah yeah he's a he's a cap filler if you're going for someone worth more money than right right who you right. have to offer right but yeah but they but, do um, i know they do like they do like james johnson so you're probably right maybe he he's yeah he's part of that equation too i just think it's going to be it's going to be a grab bag of like players who end up filling that role oh yeah i think that's I more think likely a, yeah there's no 
I think there's like a 10% chance that we have a power forward who plays more than like 20 minutes a night out there next to Cat. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, Hurt and Gomez or somebody will probably have to play a little bit more than that. But, but yeah. yeah, it won't but be like, like, this is the Roko. Or 35 whatever. minutes, you're playing, right. But, sure, sure. All right. Okay, well, we're running like an hour and a half here. So, um, yeah. My second I podcast of the day. I'm, I'm, yeah. My, vo- my voice your, your is done. Your throat's probably dry. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I get that too. I I get that after one podcast. So I you had an hour and a half with him, an hour and a half with me. You probably Need probably sick of yourself talking by now. <laughs> no, probably um, other people yeah. are sick of listening to me. That's probably what it is. Yeah, they, I think people are sick of listening to me every time. But um, yeah, if you guys we didn't talk a lot about uh, Glenn Taylor selling the wolves and everything. If you guys that are listening want to listen to that, go ahead and listen to the Dan Moore NBA podcast. Him and Britt were talking for an hour and a half about it. I haven't listened yet. I didn't have time, but I'll be listening to that here. Um, so that's where you guys can get more coverage on that. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, Dane. It was a ton of fun. You have anything else you want to add? Anything you want to plug? No, thanks for having me, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, just um, I'm doing the podcast, and we'll, we'll we will see where NBA basketball goes. And um, yep, I'm excited to get back to writing when the when the time comes for that. But we still got a while until uh, the the Timberwolves are back back playing. Writing, but, uh, but yeah, writing right now is so weird. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. Just trying to. I don't trying to be you. very creative. Yeah, yeah but um. It's, all right. It's hard. it's hard. All right. So I'm Brennan Hedke. This was Dane Moore, and I'll catch you guys next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.